Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter. It will ensure that you stay in the know and get further insights into the podcast, not to mention insider stuff about me and Now Hear This Incorporated, including some exclusives. So be sure that you're on the list to receive all the content published in there every Wednesday sent straight to your email inbox. Sign up at nhte.net. All that's required is just your email address. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York, my guest is an award-winning songwriter, singer, producer, and musician who just released a new single last month after having put out a four-song EP in January. He has worked with Grammy, Tony, and Emmy award-winning artists and winners of The Voice. He has performed in venues as varied as Carnegie Hall, Jazz at Lincoln Center, MTV Unplugged, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, The United Nations, and The Bitter End. Plus, he has performed with artists spanning Florence and the Machine to Boys to Men. He is also the founder of Vocal Artist House, which we will hear about today, and was previously a guest on this show four years ago, back on episode 181. You've been hearing his brand new single called Marathon. Welcome back to Now Hear This Entertainment, Jerry Jean. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Yeah, you bet, Jerry. Good to have you back. Thanks for making time for this. Oh, yeah, totally. It's been, what, four years since I've been on the show? Yeah, <laughs> quite a while. I know we have a lot of catching up to do since you were last on the show, but first let's talk about this newest single you just put out last month called Marathon that the listeners were just hearing. Sure. So Marathon was written and produced during COVID, and it was during a very stressful period of time. I was, uh, My wife and I were homeschooling our two children. We just couldn't do it with, with the Zoom school. That just didn't work for us. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I was getting burnt out. Every day was was really tough. I felt like, you ever hear of the, the Greek character Prometheus? I have. In Greek mythology, he would have his, his liver ripped out of his body. It would regenerate overnight. Mm. And then the next day, he'd have it ripped out again by this eagle. As dramatic as it sounds, that's how I felt daily with the stresses of raising the children, having them fight, trying to uh, keep our work going. And on top of that, the city was getting really sketchy. Mm. So, you know, this song was kind of, um, you know, a reminder to pace myself and not to burn out. It's a mantra about taking time to make sure that you prioritize your health because you got to be in it for the long haul. Okay, so full disclosure, though, even though that's what the song was about, and it was it was inspired by all the goings-on in your household, did it provide any level of therapy, or was it just, you know what, Bruce, it gave me inspiration, I wrote the song, but no, I still had to be on the front line with the kids and the city noise and all that stuff every day. Oh, man, well, you know, it did give a relief. When I'm with the kids for a long time, sometimes I feel like my, my soul... Um, even though it's being nourished by the kids, my artistic soul is not being nourished as much. So just mm. just putting this song out does a lot for, for satiating that part of me. So yes, having the, the satisfaction of putting out a piece of art does keep me refreshed. It was very therapeutic to, to produce and to release. Nice. 
Nice, nice. I like that. I like that. It's just a coincidence, by the way, folks, that Jerry is the third guest in the last four weeks from New York. It's a nice coincidence, though, in that it ties in well with someone else who's up that way and actually had spent nearly 40 years living in New York before relocating nearby to New Jersey. He, too, has his own podcast. It's a man who has had what you might call a most varied career as a composer and record producer. His name? Peter Link twice nominated for a Tony Award on Broadway and with a million-selling record to his credit and winner of the New York Theatre Critics Drama Desk Award, Peter Link has seen great success in film scoring, Broadway musicals, pop music, gospel, television, and he's even written ballets for the Joffrey Ballet. Now his podcast, Scattershot Symphony, is making a splash on the global stage with downloads in more than 50 countries, listeners all the way from Manhattan to L.A., and Montreal to Mogadishu can hear Peter share his life's work through a series of musical arrangements and anecdotes that inspired the music. The podcast explores topics like romance, in the episode titled Songs of Love and Heartbreak, or the influence that gospel music has had on him, in the episode called The Gospel Truth. Sounds fun, right? That's Scattershot Symphony, the music of Peter Link, Look for it on most podcast platforms. Awesome. Got to check that out. Yeah, very good podcast. I enjoy listening to that. You talked about the new single, but what about the EP that I mentioned in the intro that you had put out in January? Yeah, so that is called Morningside, named after Morningside Park, which is near where I live uh, in Harlem in New York City. And it's a EP that I call Anticipatory Nostalgic. So what that means is I'm... Um, you know, I'm kind of envisioning what my children will think about these songs when they're older. And I'm also kind of envisioning how I'll feel when, say, my parents pass. You know, I'm kind of projecting into the future. These these songs on the EP were all dedicated to family members. Mm. Uh, four songs, one for each of my kids, one for my, my wife, and one for my parents. And um, the songs were written... A lot of a lot of them were kind of gestated while I was walking through Morningside Park um, since I moved to Harlem. Uh, Hence the title. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I love all of that. The what did you call it? Anticipatory. Anticipatory nostalgic. Yeah, I like that. That's a unique vision, and the combination of that and being inspired by walking through Morningside Park, to me, and some songwriters out there might be listening right now and saying. Bruce, he's not doing anything revolutionary, but to me, I think it's a real nice tap into the creative, to the creative mindset to kind of say, okay, how can I put a futuristic view on something that I can put out present day, but still be, I don't want to say a time capsule, but as you mentioned, what will my children think of these songs many years from now? And also just an acknowledgement of real life that my parents won't be around forever. So uh, hats off to you. It's it's an, a unique approach. Uh, I really like what you did there. Oh, thanks a lot. I can imagine maybe one day my daughter using In My Heart, which is the song I wrote for her, as a first dance song at her wedding. And it was important for me to have one for my son as well, because, you, you know, you just can't play favorites. <laughs> so the song Evermore was written for him. I think of him as a, you know, a teenager going out into the world, and you know, hopefully he won't be embarrassed by the song. Hopefully it provides some sort of comfort knowing that I'll be there. You know, a lot of these songs are 
about unconditional love. So I'm curious as to the process. Did you get the idea all at once and said, okay, I'm going to sit down and write four songs? Or was it, you know, I wrote one of them, I felt the second one coming on, and all of a sudden I noticed a trend, and I said, hmm, I think I'm onto something here. Yeah, to be honest, these songs were written over a long period of time. Uh, even though there's only four songs on the EP, the earliest one just dated way back in 2011. Um, oh, then, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, just, I just never had recorded it to a place where I really was was satisfied. You know, I actually had put an early version of one of the songs on the EP called You and I. I had uploaded it just to YouTube, definitely no later than 2013. It was, it was a while back. And, um, you know, there were certain things I was doing back then that were convenient, but I wouldn't do now. Like, for example, I... I programmed a lot of the strings using um, sampled sounds, and I just have a soft spot for real organic strings. So that's one thing that I redid. You know, I re-recorded those strings, and not just the strings, but some of the other MIDI kind of electronic elements were replaced. Sure. The drums were replaced with the real thing, and uh, fine-tuned the mix. Um, and a lot of those things. You know, it's funny, I was kind of satisfied with them back in 2013, but as the years go by, as you your, your skills improve, you look back, and um, if you don't look back and think about things that you can improve, then maybe you're not really getting better, right? I mean, you should be able to see things that you can improve upon. So finally got to do that with that song, You and I, and the other songs on the record as well were written years ago. In My Heart was 2014. Mm. Evermore was 2016. And the song for my parents was the oldest. Um, that song called Follow Through was probably 2011. So these are just things that had been percolating wow. in the back burner. And I you know, finally got, a, got around during COVID to you know, pulling out all the old files and replacing things that were sampled. Really wanted to get a classic organic feel for it and putting out something that would be wow. that would be evergreen. Fascinating, fascinating. I love a lot of what you said there, including I pulled it out during COVID because that's a time when, and I've said this a lot, artists could have just hung their head and said, wow, when is this ever going to end? this is totally squashing my career. I have nothing I can do now. Or you could do what you and others have done, which is to say, all right, what can I do? How can I be productive in this time? And so here's Jerry going back and pulling out old songs and say, what can I do to these different? Because the other thing that you were saying that I like is it's kind of a hybrid of back then you were pleased with the songs, but it's a combination of you don't know what you don't know. And it's also technology gets better you live and learn, you get more experience, you get more tools in your tool belt, and you say, all right, now I want to go back, and now that I'm 10 years later, and I know things that I didn't know then, or I have different resources available to me, or just I have a trained ear that's a lot sharper, and you say, it probably would have been okay with the programmed strings, but I want them to be authentic now. So uh, really cool approach that you took and, and I'm glad I asked the question because I think when an artist releases an EP or a full album you just assume well everything was probably written if he released this in January he's probably going to say everything was written last year so it's pretty cool that none of it was actually yeah I mean and for me this was um, kind of a big load off 
my brain because these songs had been kind of eating away at me for so long. You know, kind of like chores that you haven't done or things on your mm. on your to do list. So COVID <laughs> gave me the perfect opportunity to to check these off to free up that brain space for 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 new artistic projects. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, a little bit more recent and. For the audience, this will help catch things up a little bit since Jerry was last on the show, not as old as 10 years ago. But Jerry, talk about Vocal Artist House, because I know it was an EP you released three years ago, yet I think you're going to say that it had inspired something bigger. Yeah, so Vocal Artist House is, uh, is actually two things. It's um, it's the name of the EP, like you mentioned, which is an EP of live stripped down soul songs. I, I invited people over to my apartment in Harlem to sing classic soul songs and we capture them live, no auto-tuning, no overdubbing. We filmed a live video, so it's a video series as well. Um, and I also have a studio from my house called Vocal Artist House, and it's a vocal coaching and music production studio. You know, this project, Vocal Artist House, the EP, you know, served two purposes. It was to you know showcase really talented New York City singers. Uh, because I'm not actually the the artist singing on them. I'm playing piano. They're my arrangements of classic soul songs like I've Been Loving You Too Long, the, the Otis Redding tune, and For All We Know, Donny Hathaway, God Bless the Child, uh, made famous by Billie Holiday. I invited three really talented singers over to my house to record them. It, it was a really refreshing project because it was so stripped down. You know, I'm usually, usually doing songs with 100 tracks. These were literally... One microphone on the singer and, you know, a stereo pair of microphones on the piano. That was it. And, um, wow. wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that the reason why I named the Vocal Artist House, you know, to bring it back to my studio is because um, having the same name kind of creates this feedback loop. You know, if someone searches for the EP, they find my studio. If someone searches for my studio, they find that I also release music. So that, that was kind of the ah. uh, the the reason behind the this, the same name. I like it. Yeah, very stri- very strategic. I like that. I like that. So I wonder, how did these people take to, because obviously collaborations happen a number of different ways, but for instance, the one video I watched, and I still need to make time to go back and watch the others, but the one that I watched was where you mentioned the Otis Redding song being performed, and you explained in the YouTube description, contrary to popular belief, this guy is not homeless. I found out that he actually lives n- near me in Harlem, but he's known as a subway singer in New York. So did you just walk up to him in the subway and say, hey, I want to record you? And, and if so, how did he respond to that? Or maybe I'm wrong and it was, you know, no. Right. So the subway singer you're talking about, his name is Geechee Dan, and he's actually, you know, quite famous in the New York City subway scene. He's, you know, my favorite subway singer of all time. And um, if you go on YouTube and look up Geechee Dan, G-E-E-C-H-E-E Dan, there are videos with millions of views of just tourists, you know, taking, you know, video of him singing. He's got the most soulful, classic voice uh, it's just unbelievable. But anyway, I've actually known him for 20 years, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> I met him when I was a teenager, and I was riding the subways of New York, and I stopped at 42nd Street where he was busking, and that was actually the first year he had ever busked, and I was transfixed by his voice. I must have watched 10 subway trains go by, at least just to stay there and listen to him sing. And over the years, I would always... <laughs> um, st- do the same thing whenever I would see him in the subways. I, I I would stop and spend half an hour, forty five minutes, you know, letting the trains go by just so that I could hear him sing. 
And then uh, when I moved to Harlem about 10 years ago, yeah, I found out that he lived down the street from me. So we kept the relationship going. Um, I would see him perform at the the Cotton Club in Harlem. He had a, he had a weekly gig on Monday nights. And I oh wow yeah, okay mm-hmm. and I've been to his apartment numerous times, um, so we struck up you know conversation about um, recording something that would sound you know professional not these these cell phone recordings, and he was totally into it yeah and um, yeah he came over and you know what's crazy is he doesn't have <laughs> you know he doesn't have email wow. he he's completely off the grid. So um, I just told him in person, yeah, come to come tomorrow this time. I wasn't even sure if he was going to come. <laughs> and and sure enough, he, he showed up and uh, we just caught lightning in a bottle. There was like, yeah. we didn't like rehearse it a lot or, you know, do editing or anything. It was just kind of one of these, you know, magical moments where everything aligned. Yeah. So in other words, it was not a cold call. And by the way, I also want to really encourage the audience to go and watch that video because I really enjoyed it. It's a nicely shot video too, by the way, but really great performance by him and really good to see you playing the piano and just really vibing with him. Three weeks ago on episode 386, recording artist, multi-instrumentalist and record producer Blake Morgan said, quote, I don't work with anyone I don't want to, and I don't work with anyone who doesn't inspire me, end quote. Jerry, what about you? What do you look for in artists that you want to work with? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I definitely want to work with artists that that inspire me and do things that I can't do. I mean, Geechee Dan is a perfect example. Like, no matter how much mm. I train my voice, I will never sound like him. He probably hasn't even taken a voice lesson in his life, whereas I have a master's in, in vocal performance, it's, it's, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, I definitely look for people who do things that I don't do. Um, I also look for people who have um, a nice sense of aesthetics visually, not just orally. If you go to their social media, um, you, you, you can kind of get a vibe about them by the pictures they post. I like the way you started that answer because shame on me, I was thinking of Jerry Jean, the producer, and like you said, Geechee Dan is a perfect example where you were the accompanist. So it was featuring his voice, but you, he's doing something that, like you said, you're never going to sound like him, but there's still a place for you to say, let's collab in a way that's other than me just producing a client's EP or a client's single or a client's album. So I like that. And by the way, I apologize. I should back up and mention when Jerry was talking about Vocal Artist House, there is actually a website for vocal artist house i don't want it to seem like it's just an ep or just a video you can go and watch on youtube so uh jerry correct me if i'm wrong but i believe it's uh, vocalartisthouse.com yes yeah that's right exactly okay well we have for all intents and purposes gotten away from talking about the pandemic thankfully on the last many 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 episodes of this show but since you are in what many considered to have been the epicenter of the coronavirus last year what about your experience going through that i know last june meaning 2020 you put out a single called liberated what was that song about okay so that song was actually about um disconnecting from social media overload. Uh, I think when everyone was, you know, hunkering down and, you know, over their phones during the pandemic, spending all that time on social media, it's just terrible for the brain. And um, especially for artists, uh, comparing themselves, looking at stats, and um, it, it was a call to disconnect from social media addiction. 
and to connect more with nature, uh, which is one thing that I did a lot during the pandemic was to go into the north woods of Central Park every day. Mm. Um, yeah, Liberator was re- really to, you know, reset your brain, um, connect with your body, connect to to movement, to dance, to put your phone away. That's the whole ethos of the song. So I'll put you on the spot a little bit then, because as much as we should practice that, and it does sound very therapeutic to put it away and to go get out in nature like you were doing, what social media advice do you have then? Well, if you're an artist or a creator and you want to be on social media to share your work, I'm a fan of trying to put out evergreen content as opposed to posting something flashy every day, regardless of quality, just for the likes. So quality over quantity. And I also advocate producing content for social media more than consuming content. The former makes you create. I mean, you're using your brain to synthesize and put things together and think about what can you put out into the world that's educational, that's entertaining, that's inspiring. Uh. So you're, you're adding value. That's where more of your time should be spent. Consuming, you're just basically going down the rabbit hole of jealousy and wasting time away that you could be using producing something. So I think the ratio of producing to consumption should be significantly higher for on the producing end. Yeah, it's a good point. And I like what you said about consuming it because very similarly on episode 386 with Blake Morgan, we talked about the fact that people are influenced by the numbers that they see. And so it's very easy to get down on yourself as an artist if you're spending so much time saying, well, why did my post only get this many likes and this person over here got this many on theirs? And you don't need to be discouraging yourself. You need to be encouraging yourself. And if you produce a piece of content that you're particularly proud of, you're going to have a whole lot better feeling about yourself than you are by sitting there looking at someone else's likes or views than being proud of what you just created. Yeah, it's also very odd that sometimes the algorithm will reward content that isn't even the content that you're most proud of. It's just the content that's more sensational. So it kind of shapes you in a way to post the most sensational stuff. And then maybe a month, two months goes by and all you've posted are really sensational selfies. Well, what have you really created that you're proud of? It's really um, a pitfall to validate um, the worth of your post based on the likes. Try to avoid that. Yeah, and a great example of what Jerry's referring to is one of my colleagues in the Florida Podcasters Association has literally walked away from his full-time job to be a full-time YouTuber, and he's creating tremendous, tremendous content, spending a lot of time and a lot of money on it. But his frustration lies in the fact that the videos that get the most views for him are unboxing videos. And so it's what Jerry's saying that all of a sudden you're trying to be known as something and yet it's an unboxing video or it's a selfie or it's, you know, some kind of goofy something that happened that everybody's going crazy over that post and the algorithm is pushing it out and you're saying, well, wait, aren't people noticing what I'm really trying to be known for? So good, good advice there, Jerry. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York by singer, songwriter, producer, and musician Jerry Jean. Visit his official website at jerryjean.com. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. There's lots of links on his website to get Jerry's original music, including even an online store where you can order a signed vinyl album or signed CD of his Do We Reach Home album that we talked about the last time he was on the show. His new single, Marathon, and his latest EP, Morningside, 
plus more from his back catalog are on iTunes, so do support him by purchasing legal downloads there. Of course, Jerry is very much on social media. Look for icons on his website to link over to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. In case you have not heard the last handful of episodes and thus didn't get the chance to hear me say this on those, if you haven't noticed, there is a trend now in the podcasting world of using the word follow, moving away from the word subscribe so as not to imply cost. Some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Jerry. Thank you, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new will check out other episodes of my show, including Jerry's previous appearance, and of course that you'll hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven plus years, so do check out some of the 380 plus episodes that have preceded this one and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. For those that didn't see the announcement, either on Now Hear the Social Media or on the homepage of the website, I have a new client who is an award-winning actor and filmmaker. There is a premiere for his movie, The Day After Tomorrow, on Friday, July 23rd. And Jerry, as you and I continue to catch up on what you've been up to since you were last on the show, your Reverie music video from 2019 was screened at many art house cinemas across the country. Yeah, yeah, I was really proud of that video. Um, kind of moving more into short narrative space. So that was screened at a lot of uh, art house cinemas, including the Angelica Film Center in New York, in New York City, and it got screened through this company called Spotlight Cinema Networks. They put together this. This pre-show, it's called a, their CineLife pre-show, which plays before movies in these kind of luxury and also art house theaters. Um, and in the pre-show, they like to spotlight artists, musicians, and, and things that are, I guess, just generally artistic and aesthetic. And they chose the Reverie music video uh, after it was suggested to them by the Winter Film Awards, which is a, a film festival in New York City that I've been a part of for, for, for years. So when you talked about Spotlight Cinema Networks and the placement that it got you, is that just for the showing in New York, or did that help with some of the other art house cinemas across the country? Yeah, so that that played across the country. Uh, I think they have about 600 exhibitors uh, screens. I have a Shazam app on my phone to, you know, check out songs. When I was looking in my Shazam analytics, the Shazams for Reverie shot up several hundred percentage points during that during that period. So I know that it was playing. Wow! Wow! Well, on a related note, talk about producing your own music videos and your interest in film. It's a big passion of mine to to integrate imagery and storytelling with, with the music. I have two official videos out right now, one for Do We Reach Home and one for Reverie. Um, those are both songs from my album, Do We Reach Home. I have one in the works for my new song, Marathon. With the last video, Reverie, that we talked about, um, it was an exciting collaboration because I worked with a fellow Taiwanese-American creative. I'm Taiwanese-American, and I worked with a director named Angela Chen. And it's very special because there's not that many Taiwanese-American artists in the U.S. working today. It's a very, very small cohort of people. So when our paths cross, it's like an extra bonus to the project. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I was going to ask you to share with us about the Asian American artist scene because I know you have been collaborating on some projects that way and doing some producing as well. Yeah, since we've last spoken, 
I've worked with several Asian American artists. I produced an EP called The Art We Make for a very talented folk pop singer-songwriter named Jay Miners. She's based in New York, and the EP is a chamber pop record with strings and uh, acoustic guitar, acoustic piano. It's a very earnest and organic-sounding record. You know, the legendary singer-songwriter Janice Ian heard one of the songs called Favorite Dress and called Jay the Real Deal. Really great endorsement. I also produced an EP for another Chinese-American singer-songwriter named Yifi Zhang. She's making alternative cinematic pop music, very passionate and earnest. We did a record called Vagrant Bird, recorded it at Studio G, a fantastic space in Brooklyn. And on the film side, I played and recorded violin for the score for a beautiful and poetic short film called Hello from Taiwan by a Taiwanese-American director named Tiffany Francis. And that film, which is autobiographical about trying to reconnect with her father from Taiwan and her two older sisters in the 1980s, um, it's screened at MoMA and a bunch of film festivals both here and abroad, and it's still on the, the circuit. I enjoyed working on all of these projects. Like I mentioned earlier, when it's with another Asian American or even closer, another Taiwanese-American creative, it's an extra bonus because there's not that many of us out there. So when these collaborations happen, is it just a nice coincidence? Is it referrals? Is it, no, I'm being proactive and I'm actually making efforts to go out and try to connect with other Asian Americans? How are these coming together? There, There is a bit of being proactive about it. The community is so small. When you see another Asian American artist, your radar goes off. It's like, mm, what, are, what are they doing? Is there, is there room for collaboration? A lot of us are connected via social media. I should mention there's another artist that I am really excited about who's Taiwanese American, an indie singer-songwriter, folk artist named Treya Lam. She just uh, made her Lincoln Center debut. She's phenomenal. She's like a mix between Nina Simone and a bunch of classic singer-songwriters, super fresh and um, also a very Mm. potent social activist. I definitely recommend people to check her out as well. We come across each other either at some type of function or on social media and... um, it's, it's definitely worth it to keep tabs and see what we're doing if we can support each other in whatever way. Yeah, and I can totally see that because it's not unlike other, I don't want to say niche, but something that's specific in a way that it's not going to apply to everybody right across the board. Like not, oh, you play guitar also, but something like Asian American, you're saying not only Asian American, but Asian American artist. And it's not unlike other things that I'm talking about where all of a sudden you find out that you have something in common with someone. It might just be that you're both from the same city, even though you now live somewhere else or you went to the same college or whatever it is, all of a sudden it makes that conversation a lot easier. And of course, we all know that in music, you're going to try to collaborate with as many people as possible. It doesn't mean that they're all going to be a home run. But it's a, certainly a lot easier conversation to start when you say, oh, well, you and I are both Asian American and we're both artists and we should talk a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's, there's usually like an understanding of um, breaking away from parental expectations. That's generally like a shared storyline with Asian American artists. Um, so that you're already starting with this shared set of, of childhood experiences. 
So since we're getting into some specific names, I'm not sure if we discussed this when you were on the show four years ago, but even if we did, there's a likelihood that it has changed. So who are some current artists that you are inspired by? Okay, so I've been listening a lot and watching a lot of videos of Jacob Collier, that wizard, that 26-year-old multi-instrumentalist, 20-time Grammy Award winner who's just too good at everything. Uh, he's been blowing my mind. Um, <laughs> and it's, 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 it's just so inspiring. If you don't know Jacob Collier, I definitely recommend going down the YouTube rabbit hole. He's got this <laughs> sense of perfect pitch that's beyond the normal bounds of perfect pitch. Most people who have perfect pitch can name notes when you play them on the piano, but this guy... Um, he's he's doing all this type of microtonal stuff that'll blow your mind. I've definitely been um, learning a lot, listening to his music and just listening to him speak and how he inhabits the world. There's a, there's another artist that is this coming up named Peter Collins. Uh, he's kind of like a modern day Bobby McFerrin. He's also been on my playlist all the time. I actually met. Peter Collins, in a funny story, by chance, we sat next to each other at a Tori Kelly concert in New York City. Um, huh. Yeah, small world. I, I, you know, there was this guy, he, he had his guitar on him. He, he totally looked like, um, like a talented musician. And I was like, why do I know this face? And it turned out that I had watched an Instagram video of Peter Collins and another amazing singer named Yeba, you know, just jamming in a stairwell and doing these incredible riffs where they have melismas with say like 25 syllables per melisma, <laughs> like doing these crazy vocal things. I didn't know his name, I just I, I just seen the video. And then when I sat next to Peter Collins at the Tori Kelly concert, he looked so familiar. I, brought, I took out my phone and I, and I queried that video and it turned out, yes, it was actually the same person. So then we reconnected on Instagram, but he is also another um, artist whose who's brain is like on another, another wavelength. I feel like, Jacob and Peter, they both can physicalize whatever they're imagining in their mind um, through their instrument. It's just an extension of their body and also through their voice. Whatever they imagine, they can, they can execute it. And it's, it's so, so inspiring to see. And for those of you that have been listening to this show for quite a long time, you know that my all-time favorite band is Rush. And so when Jerry first said Peter Collins, I thought, wait a minute, not the same Peter Collins that produced, I mean, he produced Rush, but he produced a lot of other bands, Bon Jovi, Alice Cooper, the list goes on. But obviously you're saying this is a different Peter Collins, but fascinating, really, really interesting to hear. By the way, I plugged your website and social media before, but specifically now, how can people reach you for vocal coaching, whether that's remote or in person, or I guess for producing work too? Oh yeah, sure. Um, my website, Vocal Artist House, is a great way. I have a form there that, that you can fill out. But people reach me through all different means now, and it's all okay. You can send me a message, a DM on Instagram, or via Facebook, or email at jerryjeanmusic at gmail.com. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to close today with another one of Jerry's original songs, a track called In My Heart. Jerry, before I let you go and I play this song all the way through <laughs> without talking over it, share with the audience all about In My Heart. Sure. So In My Heart is a song that I wrote for my firstborn, Ava, my daughter, who's seven years old now. It's anticipatory nostalgic, and it's a song that hopefully she can look back on when she's older and um, take comfort in. It's a song of unconditional love. 
And I think most artists, when they have children, their world turns into their children, at least for the first couple of years. And that's where I was. That's the, the state of my, my mind when I, when I wrote this song. It's the first song off the Morningside EP. It's uh, The recording you'll hear was actually recorded many years ago but was just recently remixed and had sampled sounds replaced with the real thing to give it that authentic quality. And yeah, hope you hope you enjoy it. Now reset on the timeline because I believe you said your daughter is seven. So when would this song have been written? I wrote this, I guess it was uh, 2014, around then. Oh, so right after she was born. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right at the beginning. So I was kind of anticipating, you know, how I would feel about her as time went on, which did come true. You know, you just, you love your children more and more. Um, but actually this song, you know, you know, to be honest, this song might have even been started, the writing process might have even been started before she was born and, um, wow. and, and finished it up shortly after, after her birth. And there's actually a YouTube video, you can just look up In My Heart, Jerry Jean, where there's footage of her as a baby and um, you know I'm I'm taking her around Morningside Park and that is the original kind of demo version the one on YouTube ah. yeah yeah and the version that that you'll hear now is the is, is finally after all these years is the finished EP version but I didn't want to change the um, one I didn't want to like rewrite history so the vocals are the same vocals from from back then you know there's something about just keeping things raw mm. yeah and um, and not trying to you know, mess with time too much. Um, so it definitely Interesting. has that kind of the, the same vintage quality. But I like the parent crossing over with the songwriter that here she was, it sounds like still in the womb and you were already thinking about what it's going to be like X years from now and putting pen to paper to say, I'm going to write a song about this. Whereas if it was a expectant parent who is not a songwriter, I don't know if they would be already thinking that far into the future, I think they'd be thinking of today or tomorrow or at least the day that the child is born. So it's a unique perspective that you brought to it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think sometimes as a songwriter, you want to kind of be strategic and deliberate about you know the timing of, of your output and uh, what trail you leave behind. Yeah, and I think the knee-jerk reaction might be, I'm going to write a song about the fact that I'm about to become a parent. And you took it one step further and said, no, I'm going to write a song about what it's going to be like several years from now, and never mind what's going to happen the day that she's born or the day after that. Yeah, well, part of it is because I, I, I don't think I wanted to write multiple songs about my children. So one evergreen song will do. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, Jerry, it's been great having you back on the show. Congratulations on the new single and the new EP. And I'm glad to have you back on Now Hear This Entertainment. Thanks for making time for this. Thanks so much, Bruce. Been a pleasure. You bet. You bet. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, producer, and musician Jerry Jean. Do visit his official website at jerryjean.com and then engage with him on social media, meaning... Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have been doing so since he was on the show four years ago, and that's how I found out about the new releases that he has been putting out this year. Subscribe to his YouTube channel as well, and then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell him you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. I'm going to put a link on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. 
not only to Jerry's website, but to the interview that he and I did four years ago, so you can go back and listen to that as well. Remember, too, that his new single, Marathon, and his latest EP, Morningside, are available for purchase on iTunes, as well as his back catalog. Let me also repeat that some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear Jerry, and I thank you for that. But I hope you and even other listeners who are new-ish will check out other episodes of my show and, of course, that you'll hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven-plus years, so do check out some of the almost 390 episodes now that have preceded this one and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. For now, that will do it for episode 389. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Jerry Jean. This is the one he just talked about called In My Heart. And if sometimes I stay